Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. I want to speak with you today what's in titles I shared before, that the king is knocking. The king is knocking. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited for, for what God wants to do here right now. I believe it. I believe he just wants to, he wants to fill a hungry people right now. We're coming towards the end of this series that we've been working through, where we've looked at the seven churches of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey now. These churches uh, are listed in the book of Revelation. The apostle John is the one who writes these letters, but it's from a vision encounter that he has with the risen Lord. And so he's told to write these letters to these churches. We actually, even though this is the last one, we have one more, because I skipped one, Thyatira. We'll come back to that next week, but we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 14 to 22. And today is entitled that the king is is knocking. Now let me just share this real quick so we have an understanding of this church. It always helps us to have a background on it. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the the screen. Uh, Laodicea was an extremely uh, wealthy and, and healthy, uh, wealth and health is, is what they were known for. This was the banking, uh, banking center of Asia Minor. They were extremely prosperous, uh, had a lot of trade that took place here. They were known for selling this expensive black wool. I, I just share these things because when you read these letters, it helps you understand a lot of times what Christ is bringing, the imagery that he uses, ties deeply into what goes on in that culture. So it helps you understand it. So they were known for selling this wool. Because interestingly, Jesus is going to say that they're in need of garments. And they also were known for their health. They were far advanced in, in the medical field. They had a hospital and they had a school there. And they were known specifically for making this eye ointment, ointment this salve that would uh, heal, heal eyes. And so interestingly, Jesus will also speak to this church that they're in need of an eye salve because they're spiritually blind. But I want to just share this with you. As again, as we've shared every single week I want you to see the heart of Christ for his church. This is faithfulness. He comes, and we'll even see it especially here. He speaks strong words, but he'll even say it in this letter where we said every week. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. It's because I love you that I come to you. It's because I want the best for you. It's because I have so much more than where you're living. That's why I come to you. So as hard as some of these words can be, I want you to see that they're dripped. They're dripping with mercy and grace in the faithful king that comes to us. And he says this in verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right, this is actually the words of Christ now. These are the words of the amen. This is how he identifies himself. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I'll share more what that means in a second. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, speaking to this spiritual state. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so you can see. He wasn't actually talking about buying anything, it was a matter of coming back to this place of intimacy with him, and they would receive everything that they were lacking. He says in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. 
Here I am today. I stand at the door and knock. The king stands at the door. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me, the sweetest of fellowship with Jesus. To the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, the one who puts his faith in Jesus, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to again speak with you on the king is knocking. I want to just start by sharing the end of this passage. I know we normally start in the beginning, but I want you to just hear this because Jesus makes quite an incredible claim here. In verse 20, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now here's the reality is every time I've ever heard of the king coming to knock at a door, it is typically in response to an unbeliever. Now, absolutely, that's true, and I believe God wants to do that and open those doors today. But what's so amazing about this particular portion of Scripture is that the context is Christ has not come to an unbeliever. Christ has come to a church. Christ has come to this church, and in somewhere along the way, this church had become so self-sufficient as we'll see, they've become so, so comfortable in what they had that somewhere along the way in all of their acquiring, Christ himself was squeezed out of this place. I cannot think of a more sorrowful picture than to think of a church that says we have all we need, yet Christ himself is not at the center of it. In my short amount of time of pastoring, I'm quickly finding out that much of the church is okay to have his name, is okay to do his works without the presence in the midst. There's no presence. We'll do the work. We'll say the name in Jesus, but there's no glory there. There's no, there's no lives being changed. There's no hungering for him. And my heart was so burdened this week as Christ was speaking to this church to say, where is the hunger? Where's the hunger for my presence? He says in verse 15 and 16, why, why was he outside the church? How could this even be? Verse 15 and 16, he says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He says they're lukewarm. They have become complacent. There's no fire for God. There's no hungering for him. They have got to a place where they say, we have all that we need and we are good here. And let me just share more about this so you understand. This city... So you understand this. This city was as wealthy and as healthy as it was. One of its problems is it had a terrible water system. It's amazing how Christ would use that to speak this word. But he comes to them, and they couldn't have drinking water. So what they had to do is they had to pull from outside cities. And one of them was Hierapolis. The other one was Colossus. Hierapolis had this hot water. It was, it was known for actually produce, uh, healing. It was, had medicinal purposes with it. And so there was this hot water from Hierapolis. From Colossus, there was this cold spring that was refreshing and pure drinking water. And Christ comes and says, you have neither one of these. Now listen to me. What would happen is since it was such a far distance, as the water would travel to the city of Laodicea, the hot water that came from Hierapolis would begin to cool down. Until by the time it got to them, it was lukewarm. And the cold water that was so refreshing, it would actually begin to warm up a little bit. And it would become lukewarm. So by the time it got to Laodicea, if you've ever had a glass of lukewarm water, you understand. And many times 
what would happen, they said, is the travelers would pass through this town, they would take a sip of this water, not understanding the temperature of it, and they would often spit it out. This is the imagery that Jesus is using, I'll speak more on that. But here's the point I believe. I don't believe that Christ is saying, some will say that, I wish you were hot or cold me, I wish that your heart was burning for me, uh, or I wish that you didn't want me at all. I, I just don't see the heart of Christ wanting that for his bride. What I see is Christ saying and using this imagery to speak spiritual truth. He said, just like the hot waters, there's no healing for the spiritually sick here. And just like the cold waters, there's no refreshment for the spiritually thirsty. You're not living in your God-given purpose as a church. There is so much more available to you that I want to do through you as a body and individuals. There's no healing for the spiritually sick. There's no refreshment for the spiritually thirsty. No, you have settled in this place of, uh, of just uh, complacency. And I'll tell you what, complacency is one of the deadly foes of spiritual growth. When we get to that place, he goes more in verse 17 to tell us why they were a complacent church. He says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. This was a, a church that their complacency was being driven by the fact that they had many things. They were a wealthy church. They had acquired many things and therefore they saw no need to be dependent and hunger for God and for God's power to move. We have everything that we need here. The reality is, is we could do this right here. We can have all of this. And this doesn't, honestly, this does not take God to set up. This is man. But if we want to see lives changed, we need God. And this was a church that had gotten comfortable with, with all of this and say, we have all that we need. We gather everything that we want could be here, except for the presence of God was absent from that place. And do you know that in addition to these letters being specific letters, that there are many who believe that these letters also have a prophetic undertone. What it means is that each letter represents a certain church period. And the reason why there's seven, that's the number of completion, they speak to the complete church history. So, for example, the church of Ephesus would be the early church period history, right after Christ died, the church that left its first love, and it would go all the way through. Now, if that's the case, which many believe that I respect, and certainly I would say I, I want to look at that, the church of Laodicea would then be the church that characterizes the church period of today. And the more I think about it, is this not true? This is a church that has been dulled by consumerism and materialism. And the fire of God is completely gone in this place because they have become so content with operating like the world. Instead of being desperate for more, they entered into a state of spiritual complacency. They were running the race according to the aspirations of man. And they were barren of God's power. But Christ in his faithfulness comes to this church to awaken them because he wants them to know that there is so much more than operating like any other worldly institution. This should look different if we're centered on the presence of Jesus Christ. And I would imagine that it would be easy for this church to fall into this trap because they lived in a culture where consumerism and materialism was the way to live. This was a culture that was self-sufficient and independent and so if this church were to live counter to that, they would have to live so differently than what was going on in the culture. And I believe, honestly, that in my heart that it's so easy to fall into this trap of no longer hungering for God because of how blessed we are here. We have all that we need to put together a service, and we go out, and we never say, but was the presence of God there? Was the glory of God there? Did we actually encounter the living God? 
Are we just going in and going out and there's nothing that's changing? And I hear the heart of the Father as Crystal had spoken from his words. I am looking for a people that would go deeper with me. I will satisfy you. I will do things through you that you could never do in your own strength. And he tells this church strong words. He says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Or your translation may even say vomit. Now, what is, what is going on there? This is, I was just wrestling with this all week, and I, I want you to hear my heart. Christ starts by saying, I am the amen. In Corinthians, it says that every promise of the Father in Christ is yes and amen. Think about the magnitude of that. Every promise that runs through the Bible, every trace of hope that runs through the Bible finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Everything, the God of the impossible makes everything possible, it's, and it's from Christ. Christ comes to this church and says, I am the amen. Everything is fulfilled in me, yet you are living for this. You have access to all of this in me. You have access to truly change a world. You have access to see lives change, yet you're settling to live in this place. And I believe that the heart of Christ was, his heart was broken over this. So much of the point is that he is spiritually sick when he sees his children living in one state when they have access to so much more. Bill Johnson, and you know, I talk about him all the time. Uh, I think he's awesome. He, he shares, uh, Crystal was sharing with me this week something that s- spoke right into this. He wasn't sharing on the scripture. But he said this. He says, why would... God, the Father, why, would, why do we have access to all of this in Christ? Why would he give us access to everything, right? Everything was available to Jesus, the Son, and now the Son makes everything available to us. Why would he do that? And he said it's because of the weight of the assignment. You see, we're not just moving along trying to endure until heaven comes. We're not just trying to hold on by the skin of our teeth. That's not my passion. My passion is to walk in the fullness that God has for us as a body and individually. And the reason he gives us access to everything is because the weight of the assignment, which is to bring heaven to earth and to see the kingdom of God explode here. Not just to have a good little service, but to truly see lives change, to make disciples of all nations, to set the captives free, for the spiritually blind to be able to see. And if we're going to flow in that, we have to be a people that hunger for him, that are desperate for him. That's why our worship service looks different, because we're not interested in just going through songs to say, yay, we did four songs and we're out of here. We want God. We want to see him move. That's our passion. And I just believe if we're going to see this place change, that's what it's going to be, a people that hunger and move according to that power. It won't be as much as I love to have fellowship before service. That's not what's going to change. It's going to be when they encounter the living God here. And why would we want to depend on anything else when we have access to the Holy Spirit that's living inside of us? Paul, can you put up Isaiah 11:2 for a second? Do you remember this? A few weeks ago, we shared this scripture. Jesus comes to the church of Sardis that was dead and says, I'm the one who possesses the seven spirits. It really was just referring to the one spirit, but his seven aspects, the sevenfold, which comes from this scripture. Listen, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, meaning Christ, the spirit of wisdom and of of understanding, of counsel, and of might, the spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord. 
we have access, I wanted to share one, we have access to the spirit of might. If you are in Christ, the spirit of all of that dwells inside of you. The spirit of might dwells inside of you. How many of you remember the scripture in Zechariah 4, 6? We, we quote it often. And it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. We often mention that scripture, but here's, here's the reality. If, if you're not careful, we think that scripture is speaking more to the fact that we don't go by this power. We walk in some type of weakness. Not by might, not by power, but we walk in this, this weak path. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It says, not by might nor by power of human strength. Why would you walk according to that? When you have access to the spirit of might. And this spirit of might that lives inside every believer, has, lives inside you right now, has the ability to break chains. It is the spirit of might that, that sets people free from addictions. It's the spirit of might that just destroys depression. It's the spirit of might that where there's someone who's hopeless, who doesn't want to live, they find hope. It's the spirit of light that takes a dead heart and breathes on it and brings it to life. Only the spirit of might can do that. Come on, you probably have heard it. Let's just be, suicide rates are going up. Addiction rates are going up. Divorce rates increase. Hospitals and prisons are overflowing. This place, this community is in need of a people that flow according to the spirit of might. The younger generation is more familiar with going to their friend's funeral than their friend's wedding. They need the spirit of might. They need to be around someone who has peeled back and entered into the Holy of Holies, who has touched and tasted and seen the wonders of God and has come out completely stained and marked by that and flows in a different type of calling with a power of God that said, no, no, that's different. That's not just plain church. I want what that has. This person has, there's something about them that can break change. That's available to every single one of us. And so our communities, our families, our coworkers, this nation, it's in need of a rising up. If this is truly our church age, God is looking for a church. Don't just, don't look in the natural. Don't look that we rent a building. Don't look that we're, we're, we're situated in a place that many would want to overlook. God doesn't look at that stuff. Hungry, surrendered, God says, I'm going to move here. I'm going to use this people. And I'm going to put everyone to shame when they use this people. And I'm going to receive glory when I work through these people. I believe in my heart that Jesus is waiting for a church, for one person who would be so surrendered to God that their hearts would be burning. They'd become an ignition for the Holy Spirit of might to be put on display. The Holy Spirit is readier than, than we'll ever be. He's ready now. He's ready to touch the world. He's ready to move. What is he looking for? One person, one body that would surrender to that and say, Lord, I don't have anything to give, but if I have you, I have everything. Jesus, we need you. One person who begins to hunger like that, God will move so mightily in that life. But I think there's great challenges to this as well. Because if we are in a church age of consumerism, what I'm finding is that we have made things so complex. We've lost the simplicity of just Jesus. And the whole time, it's what our hearts long for. So to meet up with feeding the needs of people and consumers and trying to run a business more than anything, we have more and more activities than we could ever imagine. But here's the problem. It takes our time, it takes our attention, it takes our energy, yet our hearts remain as restless as ever. 
We lack peace like, ever, like we've always have. There's no, there's no life. There's, the heart is still craving and longing for more because it is in the sole pursuit of God where we will find what we've always been longing for. It's good to do these things, but unless we encounter him, our hearts remain restless. I think it was Augustine who said, our hearts uh, have no rest or restless until they find rest in him. That is what we are longing for. That is what we're looking for. And God is coming to a church that has settled with all of these things. So why would you go there when I have so much more for you? I believe that the deadness that so many people feel in their hearts and lives is because we have become more consumed with projects than his presence. And we've lost the fiery passion for more. This isn't a call about salvation. This is, God says, there is more. I have pursued you so that you can fully pursue me. There is so much more available in me. I think often the tragedy of today is that we have settled for the seeking to be done by our teachers. This is for everyone. We say, now they'll seek, but no, no, God wants every one of us. He's called us to this. We have fallen on this teaching that accept Christ, you have everything you need, and stay there. Actually, he's given you everything so that you can walk in it and pursue it and hunger for it. He's the one who's made it available, but we have to walk in it to see it actually manifest in our life. I believe in my heart salvation is not an ending point. It is a beginning of the glorious pursuit of walking with the infinite majestic creator. Paul said he counted everything rubbish when it came to knowing Christ. You see, when you know him, it puts things in perspective. When you actually taste and touch and, and see and begin to move with him, everything else is, is it's rubbish compared to knowing the creator that I can be intimate with him. All of it just goes out the window. And if you look through the scriptures, you will find that there are examples, countless examples of God working through people that hunger for him. David's heart hungered for the Lord. The Psalms are littered with language of people that were just thirsting for God. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, the psalmist wrote, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for the living God. Oh, I thirst for you, God, the living God. Where can I go to meet with you? This was a person who was hungry for him. It's like, if we find ourselves bored in this, it's because we're not, we're not walking closely with him. God is he's infinite. It's like diving in the depths of caves, right? And there's just hidden coves, and it just never ends. The endless riches of God is available to just dig in and just enjoy him and, and experience just the fullness of life. It's so rich to walk with him. And throughout the scriptures, you see it. The Psalms, Paul, Paul said, man, that I may know you. That's my heart's passion, Lord. Everything else, put aside. I want to know you, God. What am I talking I'm talking about a church that is hungry for him, spends time with him, commits them in the word, reads, reads the word, worships, learns to sit before him. Man, God, does, God just moves through people that place that type of priority on his presence. Do you know, this blew my mind. I've read it so many times, but it just hit me. It may not do the same for you. But Moses, when he was going through the wilderness, and he, he was with the people of Israel, and he's with God, and they got to Mount Sinai. And you know that conversation where he says, I won't go unless your presence goes with me, right? But then Moses makes the craziest claim. He asked God, he says, show me your glory. Moses asked for God to show him his glory. And God ignored him, 
God overlooked him. God rebuked him. The next day, God said, Moses, come up here. And he brought him up to Mount Sinai. And Moses couldn't even experience the glory of God like we can because of Christ. God is so pleased with the hungry people that say, Lord, show me your glory. I want to know you. Do you know that in the, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were coming into the promised land, and they were getting ready to, to divide up the land, God came to Aaron, the leader of the priests, the leader of the Levites, and he began to tell them how the land would be divided up. But then God makes this really interesting statement to Aaron. He says, look, this tribe, there was 12 tribes of Israel. He says, this tribe will get this, this tribe will get this. He says, but as for you, Aaron, and as for the priests, he says, I will be your share. I will be your inheritance. Everything you need will be found in me. And do you know that in the New Testament, one of the glorious truths about who we are is that it says that we have been grafted into this priesthood. I believe it in my heart that God's call is still looking for a people that would say, Lord, I find, I don't need any of that other stuff. I find my inheritance. I find my portion. I find all that I need in you. That's been the heart of God since the beginning to, to bring a people to himself that would understand that. And Laodicea was satisfied with the riches of the world. But when God told the, the, the Levites, they'll have that, but you will have me, they became the richest people. And God wants us to place that type of value on his presence and who he is. Now, let me just be clear on this. I've kind of shared this a little bit. But there is a major difference because some may say, well, God lives in us, so we're good. It's true. But listen to me. Listen to this. Let me just share that for a moment. In the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament is where the presence of God lived behind the veil. Only one man could enter. We've shared this many times. The high priest on one day of the year. The holy presence of God. No one else could enter in. Why? Because the sacrificial system of blood, of, of goats and animals, it couldn't get you to the true intimacy with a holy God. It was limited in what it could do. But the great news, the good news is that when Christ came, it was a picture of him, the true sacrifice, who would lay down his life in order to tear the veil open so that the same presence that resides in the holy of holies lives inside of us now. But you can have that position and still not walk and experience the incredible truth of the holy of holy presence living inside of you. You can have access to things and not take advantage of them. You can have things that you're not even aware of. The Bible talks about it all over. You can be a, a son of God, a daughter of God, and still live like a slave. You can be free and still live like you're bound. Paul said it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So walk in your freedom. In other words, you can be free and live like a slave. And we can have the holy of holies inside of us, yet we can enter in here, go about our business, walk out, and never encounter and experience that. Christ in you, Christ in me, is more than a doctrine to be held. It is a life to be enjoyed and experienced every single moment of every single day. And I just hear the voice of the Lord calling to hunger, to go deeper, understanding what it is that we have access to. So why do we feel, fail to experience that? Why do we feel, fail to walk in all that God has? It's what we saw in this church. It's contentment. It's complacency. We're content to just go through the system. We're content to just go through the routine. We're content to just 
go about our, our habits and rituals and then just go out. And I tell you this, nothing will change until the people rise up that are dissatisfied with going according to status quo. We have two choices. We either keep going, if this is the church age, we either keep going with the flow of the church and just pretend we'll play church, or we get on our face. And we say, Lord, we can't move forward until we know, God, that you are with us and that you are moving. And if we do that, my goodness, if we come in here as a body, God will, God will move with one person, but if we come in as a body with, with that type of folks, say, Lord, we're here for you, I'm telling you, we're going to see such a shift in the services and such a shift in our lives. We're going to see the, the God, the infinite God, begin to explode in this place. Tozer, Tozer once said, he said it's, he put it this way, what I just shared. He said, the veil has been torn. But so many people, A.W. Tozer said, so many people, even though the Holy of Holies is opened and it's in you, so many people, figuratively speaking, live in the outer court still. And their hearts are so dry and empty because they have access to all of this, but they won't enter in. They stay right there. And his reason was, interestingly, it's because of the self-life, self-sufficiency, self-confidence, self-pity, self-love. We don't humble ourselves to say, Lord, there's more and I want more. But we say, no, I'm, I'm good right here. Sometimes our, our gifts become the greatest barriers to be hungering for God. We say, no, I'm, I'm good right here. I've got enough. But when we recognize, oh, my goodness, what there's available and what God can do if I would just hunger and surrender, that's when God really begins to change. And so Christ comes. I just bring this to a close. He comes and he, he convicts and comforts this church, right? That's what we see. He, he lists these pretty strong words. And I just want you to know, when he says they're pitiful or wretched, it's, you have to understand the undertone. He's speaking the fact that their hearts are calloused and hard. God loves this church, but he's speaking that their, their hearts have become hard and they've stayed in this place. They're dull. When he says that, uh, he says that they're uh, pitiful or miserable, it's that they're, they're spiritually sick because they've lost the hunger for him. And he says they're poor, blind, and naked, and so on and so forth. But amazingly, as Christ speaks all of these truths, at the same time, he reveals everything they need in him. Christ says, come to me. I, I am everything that you need. I'm everything that, that you're longing for. This wasn't about speaking to believers in salvation. This was about a new quality of walk with God that God was trying to stir up in them, to hunger for the more. And so I'll ask the worship team to, to come up as we just close right here. Verse 19 and 20. It says this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And here we see the king has come and the king is knocking. And notice that his rebuke and his discipline, the words that he comes to bring, they're, they're saturated, they're motivated by a deep love for his people because he knows that there is more that they can be living in. And he calls them, it says in this verse, it says he calls them to be earnest and repent. Again, we talk about this repent always sounds like a like a bad thing, but why is he calling this church to repent? Because he desires to come in. He desires for a new level of intimacy. He desires to move in their life like they're not experiencing. So he says, be earnest to repent because repentance brings about intimacy and he wants to be close to you. And then he says this, here I am in verse 20, meaning I'm here today. Christ is here today to fill hungry people. 
He says, I stand at the door and knock. This is how, it should, this is how else you could word that. He's taking a stance, is what he's saying. In other words, saying, I've taken my stance at this door. I'm not going anywhere. I want you. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you experiencing all that I have for you. So I take my stance and I knock. What kind of king is this? Has no business to wait on us, but he waits at this door and he knocks and he knocks and he knocks. And for some, they never open the door. But he comes as people to just breathe on them. He uses circumstances. He uses his own words. He does whatever it takes for the door to be opened. We shared last week that Christ opens incredible doors, right? Literally, he's pictured after the resurrection, he walked through doors. He opens prison doors. He opens doors of ministry. Come on, he can open the pit of hell, it says. He can open the gates to heaven. Yet there's one door he will not open on his own. It is the heart of man. He will come, he will call, but he will wait for you to respond to that call. And if you are hungering today, the king is standing and knocking and saying there is more for you. If you've never experienced him, he wants you to know him. If you're drifting, your heart is hard. He wants to breathe the breath of life on you again. And if you just say, I just want to know you, I want to go deeper, Lord, it's available. And this isn't a one-time thing. This is a daily thing of hungering for more of God. The king waits to be wanted. He waits to be wanted. And he waits here today. And the only reason why we can pursue him and hunger for him it's because he has pursued us and he has come to us. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we close here. Yeah. Just so you know, if we'll have the ushers in the back on the way out as you leave, if if uh, God has placed it on your heart to uh, to give and tithe today, just so you know as you walk out. But the king stands today, and I don't want anyone here to leave without responding yes to that call. So it's real simple. Look, sometimes we do the end of service differently. I just feel right here, right now, God wants to do something, and I just believe that there's something that happens when we respond by faith. Listen, when we have a, a time to come up here, it's not just, oh, I, I just come up to the front altar. It's a step of faith. It's, God, I've heard the word. I've heard it in my heart, and I am stepping forward to respond to that. And in that place, I believe God is going to fill empty hearts. God is going to put a flame in cold hearts, and God is just going to mark people that just want to go deeper and, and launch you into something new. And so I invite you as we just close in worship, forget about the clock. Forget about what's after this. There's nothing more important than him. Forget about the person next to you. Listen, if that's what's holding you back, it, just forget about it. If you say, I'm going, for, I don't care who sees me anymore. I don't care. I want everything God has for me. I'm simply going to ask you to come forward, and we're going to pray for you as we're worshiping here. If that's your heart anywhere to, be, to just be touched by the Lord today, I simply ask you to come forward. And as we worship, we're going to pray for you. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.com.
www.ghostofjesus.org backslash give.